This is the Pink Floyd Fellas, featuring your fellas Pete and PJ, leading you through the journey of the world's most popular progenitors of progressive psychedelic rock, Pink Floyd. Welcome to the show, everybody. This is Pete. And this is PJ. And we're talking Pink Floyd, just like we do every episode. Every single episode, we get straight into the Floyd mm-hmm. and how so. Pink PJ, it is. we left off last week. <laughs> how funny would that be? Oh my god! Who are Imagine. we on? Who are beefing with again? Fuck y'all! <laughs> yeah, fuck sale. Yeah, we need some more listeners, so we're gonna hope that they tweet about us again. Or yeah, whatever. I really hope that <clears> they <throat> move from the Beach Boys to Pink Floyd, just so we can like you know start another yeah. like our beef can be more solid. Instead can of being ground, oh, yeah. it's like a steak. Yeah, that's true. They were burger patties to start with. So yeah, and then if we're lucky, it'll get to be a prime rib at some point. The king of, the king of cuts. The king of cuts. That's what we've always said. Or the cut of kings. Sorry, there's a season of Master Chef, uh, where there's this guy from like, it's shitty that I don't remember, but somewhere in um, the Caribbean. So he has a Latino accent, and at some point they're talking about prime rib, and he just exclaims out of nowhere. The cut of kings, and like, and it's really, really funny. Never heard anyone say that before or after. I love how much knowledge you have about Master Chef. I'm just learning, and then <laughs> yeah. also that ghost hunting show. Uh, ghost Adventures. Yeah. Yeah, I like very Never selectively. Never seen an either. Very, very selectively. I like kind of reality TV like that. Hmm. Um, yeah, both the Gor- or three Gordon Ramsay ones I like, and then fuck off to like his 19 other shows. Um, yeah. What are the three? Name drop. Uh, Master Chef. Hell's Is Kitchen. he on Master Chef now? He's the, like the host of it. Oh, okay. Yeah, he's hosting. has he always been? Yeah. I yeah. did not know that. As I mean, as far as I know, I have not watched the oldest seasons. But okay. I'm pretty sure he is has okay. always been involved. And then uh, Hell's Kitchen. Great. Uh, it's a dream of mine to go to the Hell's Kitchen restaurant while they're filming. Um. And then Kitchen Nightmares. Kitchen Nightmares. I was hoping you'd say that one. one. That one's the best one. Because he's always... Here's the thing about Gordon Ramsay. Is he's only... He had that show where it was like MasterChef Junior too. He Mm. was the host of that. He was always so nice to the kids. Yeah. And then the great thing about Kitchen Nightmares is he's so nice to the wait staff if they're like good. Like he's so nice to them. Always like tips if he, you know, Mm -hmm. thinks it's like a bullshit whatever and then just so mean to all the chefs who should know yeah. better which rules. so yeah we just watched that they did a new season recently i think it had been off the air for a few years um so they did a new season yeah. recently and i basically now he's getting to all the covid restaurants that yeah, exactly basically he um thankfully they waited long enough to film that every single story wasn't just and covid and covid yeah i'm like I, I know everyone in the world so <laughs> we literally everyone we all did it yeah um anyway so uh what am i trying to say he there's there's kind of a formula basically which i really only started noticing when he would not do it some episodes then you'd be like wait a second he always does this which is yes he comes in he's very nice to the wait staff and is always very like he gets them on his side like he's asking them like are the cooks always this bad or something like that you know like he is treating them like they're in on the thing um and then he always orders the exact same way uh, where he either he always chooses something that he chooses the restaurant signature dish 
mm-hmm. he chooses something that a restaurant of their type, like if they're like Should a seafood place. That they shouldn't have on the menu ever, and also something that, like, every restaurant of this type should do perfectly. Yeah. Like a more generic dish. He always does those three at, at a minimum. Which is a good list of things to, you know, yeah, try. It's a good way to go. the full range. Yeah. And so, um, and then for some reason, he always calls out, like, the front, if it's, like, uh, sorry, if it's, like, a couple or something that owns it, he always talks to the woman first but mostly because they're always like the front of house person yeah Um, i don't know that i've seen an episode where the wife or girlfriend or whoever is the chef but and then yeah and then Amy's baking company she was the oh yeah yeah but yeah and then brings out the chef and just eviscerates him yeah which is the best part of it yeah it is pretty good so anyway those are good shows and then yeah, Ghost Adventure. I'm trying to think. Pawn Stars before they changed it. Pawn Stars is an all. Used to classic. love Pawn Stars. Yeah, I could watch Pawn Stars for hours and hours. Yeah. yeah. You know what I could do without the dumb little sketches they do? No. Get rid of that. Just do the pawn yeah. stuff. They I mean, like the you know pawn. how like on those weird free TV apps like Pluto or whatever, where you're just scrolling through cable, but shit. Yeah. Um, someone needs to do. Someone needs to like get all the rights to the Pawn Star episodes and then just do a. 24 hour or 24 7 365 supercut of just them analyzing the things and figuring yeah. out if they're real and what they're worth yeah because that's all you need to see that's, that's the only good part of the see. show i don't need it's the like sketches. antiques Roadshow, but kind of a little bit more entertaining and also like i did used to love antiques Roadshow when i was a kid weirdly yeah. enough it's a great show yeah i really so. love when it's worth nothing that made me really yeah. happy sometimes yeah. Or when the people like, are always disappointed and always, oh, well, I guess it means something to me then. <laughs> yeah. And then it, it's, it's always great when you see a guy who's like, oh, yeah, this was a, a blanket that I used for the seat cover in my pickup truck for the last 40 right. years. And they're like, this is like a, a Hopi Indian blanket that is yeah. worth, you know, like tens of thousands of dollars. Yeah. He's like, oh, well, I'm just going to throw it back in my truck. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. That always ruled. It's fantastic. Um. All right. Well, none of that potentially will be in the intro. Well, it'll so probably all be just in, the in intro. case. Yeah. Uh, PJ, since it's this time of year, mm-hmm. do you want to talk about our Spotify Wrapped? This is a, a, a yearly, an annual occurrence on this show. I would love to talk about our Spotify Wrapped. Nice. Not our Spotify Wrap. I am not prepared to rap about Spotify. Oh, but Pete, I would love that's to embarrassing talk about our Spotify because rap. I am. <laughs> Damn. Oh, it was supposed to play a hip hop type beat and it didn't. So never mind. So I gotta say, my rap this year was pretty disappointing because I did not listen to Spotify very much. So it's Mine, really funny how yeah. when you hardly ever listen, it just feels like the data is super it's skewed because there's not nearly enough stuff yeah. going on. Like my most played song somehow was like played seven times, which just seems totally insane. But um also just like that's that's nothing so none of this other data means anything <laughs> yeah here wait i need to listen to this really quick it's rap time get ready to reveal your year in listening then share it with the world but how to get started 
Make sure you have the latest version of Spotify installed. Okay. You just need an active Spotify account and a few hours of You're trying to find where it is on the app? Yeah, I typed in Spotify wrapped and the first thing was a one minute long podcast oh. about how to find your Spotify wrapped. Yeah, if you're Which on the is, home screen, there should be a thing at the top that you can scroll through, like podcast, audiobooks. And oh, there it's we at go. The end it's all rainbow line. Yeah. Okay. Um. Yeah. So mine's kind of bullshit and doesn't really make any sense. Um. I would agree. And also, did you get on your Wrapped any like videos from artists thanking you for listening to them on Spotify? I did get one. Okay. Who was it? A major artist a minor artist or an artist basically no one has ever heard of basically an artist nobody's ever heard of yeah same with mine because and i was also like i probably listened to that album two or three times and then i went and bought it like off her website so i'm like yeah. there's no way i'm in like a top percentage of listeners i just think they mine was somebody smaller artists to do those yeah. yeah mine was somebody who i was gonna see at a festival and then i didn't end oh, up nice. seeing it at the festival because i was seeing something else at the same time but i listened to them a lot like ahead of time um yeah, that's nice yeah um do you want to go first then, or would you like me to go for, oh sorry well i forget how we do this are we doing the whole thing or are we just talking about it re- in relation to this show i think last year we did the whole damn thing Pete. yeah okay last year though didn't we do well that might have been during the rolling stone studs we did like a whole christmas special whereas this year we actually have like a fuck ton to talk about on this episode that's true <laughs> i think you okay we, did you I, beard... I have a black eye. Whoa, what happened? I don't know. Did you I'm get just... knocked out and you don't remember it? PJ, did you get hit by a car? Like Kelly Oubre? Yeah, I. but I'm not going to... I don't want to talk about it, though. Yeah, then uh, I got hit by a car and call anyone or try I, to go I'm not crazy, or... though. I have a black eye, right? It looks dark under the one eye, yeah. That's bizarre. I don't know how that happened. I also can't tell whether I just didn't notice it because it's not super obvious or whether somehow you just got it <laughs> while we were recording. Oh, yeah. I bonked my eye oh, on no. the microphone. From that far back, I can't see it nearly as much. Like, if I didn't know it was there, I would not be able to tell. That's bizarre. Or I bizarre. wouldn't think about it, I don't think. This is good podcasting, brother. Yeah, it is. Well, we're going to get to a lot more visual stuff later on so people can yeah. suck it. All right. I think, yeah. All right. Fine. Let's do the whole wrapped. I'll go first. It's like I said, my data is so weird. It's going to be kind of crappy. Um, also not representative of what I listened to this year at all. Okay. How do I skip to the next? Here we go. I listened to 12 genres. It says my listening took me places, but I don't know what they mean by that. Oh yeah. This was interesting. The place that I listened to, sorry, the place in the world that listened to the most stuff like me is apparently Burlington, Vermont. Which a ton of people got, I guess, if you listen to any indie music at all. Yeah, it said people are more likely to be fans of Fish, of course, although I did not listen. Oh, no, I did listen to some Fish this year. Uh, Jess Williamson and Jenny Lewis. So, like, yeah, sure. That sounds like, I mean, I feel like if you listen to Fish at all, it's going to say Vermont. (laughs) Yeah, you would think. I played 731 different songs. And then, yeah, the one I played the most was a song by Unknown Mortal Orchestra that, like, I just had on a playlist. Mm. So not a particularly important song to me this year. I listened for three days. In April, I listened to 200 minutes. Boy, all this is just pathetic. (laughs) I listened to 292 different artists. That's wild. Uh, But Pink Floyd... Uh, came to the top, specifically the song One of These Days off Metal. 
Okay. A song I, I don't do remember not remember. I don't remember that one a lot, yeah. <laughs> Let's see. So my number one was Pink Floyd, of course. Um, okay. Because I really didn't use Spotify a lot this year except for the podcast. And even then. Uh, my peak listening month was April. January, March, April, May. So, um, and then nothing once we got to the albums I already had, so... That makes sense. My number two is Fish, of course. My my peak listening was the month of May where I think I listened to one record like five times. <laughs> yeah, that sounds right. Uh, my number three was Jenny Lewis, which peaked in June when her new album came out. Makes sense. Great album. My number four was Always, which uh, peak listening month was July. I think also around the time their new album came out. Hmm. I don't know about that one. Uh, and then Jess Williamson, again, also, I think around the time her album came out that one month I listened to, like all those things I listened to probably three or four times and then just went and bought because I was like, this is really good music. I think we are maybe the only two people in the world who still do this with music where we'll listen to it on Spotify and be like, that's good enough. I'll just buy it on my iTunes. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Like it's just a testing service at this point. Yeah. Um, Or for the podcast. Yeah. All right. So here we go. I... Wait, why are they not? My top genre is classic rock, of course. It always is. Yeah. Um, Boy, this doesn't... I want to know how much I listen to Pink Floyd specifically, and it's not telling me that. That sucks. Hmm. Oh, well, but I was a top five... Oh, here we go. I'm a top 5% fan, not nearly as high as the Rolling Stones when I was the top 1%. Yeah. I <laughs> which got I'm, top very, I'm very proud of. Point zero. That's incredible. 0.05% on Stones, I think. That's wild, man. Yeah. Um, And I spent 507 <laughs> minutes with the Floyd, so about four songs yeah all right you want to share yours pj yeah and we can listen to mine too oh yeah since you got the fancy stuff is there any way that i could somehow play music that you could hear and would be recorded we'll talk about it later okay uh 2023 was a feast for my ears oh yeah you listen to 52 genres how did your taste stack up Let's see. I am. Oh, I know this song. Did you send me? Is this Josh? Yeah, this, this is Josh. You sent me this really one. Yeah, yeah, yeah. My top this genre is, is classic song. rock, and then new Americana, country, sure. outlaw country, and alternative rock. <laughs> this year, you're listening. That sounds to... like PJ. Yeah. This year, uh, uh, it took me places, and the most place I listen to is most similar is Bozeman, Montana. Really? Holy yeah. shit! That's yeah. crazy. I played 2,613 songs in 2023, and there's one that really connected, (laughs) and that is White House Road, Our Vinyl Sessions by Tyler Childers. Oh, there you go. But you had room for your heart. You had room in your heart for more than one favorite. You romantic you. My top songs. Number one, White House Road, Our Vinyl Sessions. Number two, Southern Nights by Glenn Campbell. Love it. Number three, Sam by Sturgill Simpson. Perfect. Number four, Sister Golden Hair by America. Number five, Box Number Ten by Jim Croce, baby. Nice. Why stop there? Here's a playlist of all the songs you loved. Oh, that's, I just said... Time is a construct, but we kept track anyway. I listened for 15,974 minutes. That's 11 days nonstop. I peaked on March 1st at 994 minutes. Nice. Some about March, and I was in the top 23% of listeners worldwide. Whoa. 
I listened to that's one nice. 1,438 artists this year, but one came out on top. Any guesses? I, I'm guessing Tyler Childers based it's on Tyler the Childers. Yeah. Yep. Uh, it was Tyler Childers last year too. Yeah, nice. I know. That I had something special with my top artists. Number one, Tyler Childers. Uh, peak listening month was March. Nice. Um, number two is Zach Bryan. Peak listening month, March. I don't love Zach Bryan. I was just, he was also at the festival I was going to, mm-hmm. so I listened to him a lot yeah. out of time. I don't, I, it's fine. I don't really like it that much. And number three, Pink Floyd. Peak listening nice. month, May. Nice. I think that's probably when we did the most episodes. <laughs> yeah, I would guess so. Number four, Jim Croce. Peak listening month, March. Nice. Why is it March? He's a, real, he's a real March guy. Number five, Charles Wesley Godwin, who is the oh. fella I got a little video from. Oh, nice. Peak listening month, March. Yeah. Damn. You really are made for March, PJ. I guess so. Hold up. That's There's cool. someone on the line. Oh, we can see my little video. Oh, boy. Cool. Hey, thanks so much for your all support this year. Listening to our music from the live VP to, I didn't listen to the that. new album. It's meant the world to me and the guys. We're just out here playing shows, doing our best to keep working and bring the music to you. And we'll see you down the road. Thanks, cool. Guys. Thanks, Charles. Ooh, I listened, to, <laughs> I listened to 105 minutes and I'm a top 19% fan of the podcast, The Pink Floyd Fellas. Hell yeah. That's really cool. Wait, you're a top what percentage? Uh, 19%. And you listen to how many minutes? 105. This is only Spotify, by the way. Yeah, no, but like... It's like half an episode. Yeah, that doesn't say a lot good about our Spotify listenership, but... Weirdly, people still love us on SoundCloud, so... Mm. And, um, Apple Podcasts. Oh, yeah. Is Spotify or is SoundCloud still the top place? Oh, okay. Um, that was fun. It didn't show me. Oh, wait. Does it. Will it tell me how long I listened to Pink Floyd for? No, because they're not my top. They're not the top, yeah. Anyway, that's a little peek into my mind. There you go. My fucked up mind. Yeah. What's really wild is that, you know, I did not listen to Pink Floyd a ton, yet I was still somehow in the top 5%. Yeah. <laughs> Which is kind of kind of sad, especially because they released the remastered Dark Side this year, and like, yeah, it's not ideal, guys. <laughs> yeah. Um, well, do you have any Spotify wrapped goals for next year, PJ? Mmm... Maybe not get Tyler Childers for a third year in a row, yeah. which yeah. I don't know that I will. Well, I don't know. It's not 2024 yet. I mean, maybe when this is released, it is. But, yeah. um, you know, I feel like I, I am getting married to my brother this summer. Um, mm. And so I feel like it's going to be a lot of listening to songs to put on those playlists. Mm. Yeah, um, yeah. And so it might be a wide variety. So I'm I'm curious to see. Um, yeah where everything stacks up i wonder what we weren't recording at this time but i wonder the year of my wedding i don't know if i looked at my wrapped but i would imagine it was a lot of the songs we were doing for the wedding yeah um 
Interesting. My goal is to, um, I don't think I'm going to make it, but it would, it's a great goal is to only listen to one song and then just see how long my rap is, like how they try and stretch that out. <laughs> that would be so good. It'd be really fun. Or like four songs or something. And then just like, they're treating it like I'm such a huge fan or something. <laughs> like, no, <laughs> maybe I wonder should... if there's a minimum amount of songs to do a rap even, or like I'm... time listening. I don't know. <sighs> Can you add one song over and over on a playlist? I guess you probably, could just probably, press the yeah. repeat thing. It'd be funny to start a Spotify account, like a new one, so that for the express purpose of doing that. Of just, yeah, getting of that. Just rap. listening to one song. Yeah. And then, or, yeah, or if you did multiple artists and you only listened to one song, like to see, or I guess even if you're the top artist, sorry. Um, cause you only get that, but to see what the percentage is, like what percent you're in, if you only listen yeah. to one song, one time, you're like, you're in the top 90%. <laughs> yeah. Hmm. 95% of their fans. <laughs> anyway, speaking of Spotify, PJ, let's turn back the table a little bit and talk about outdated forms of media. Now, do you remember little things mm-hmm. called compact discs pj sliding them in and out popping them in and out of your little boom box on calm down accidentally crushing those jewel cases i do recall that like that yeah yeah okay well then do you remember cassette tapes accidentally crushing their plastic cases yeah sliding them in and out popping them in and out of the other ones yeah one of i gotta say maybe the most tactilely fun form of music like, cause especially when it's like the Walkman type thing where it pops out and then it like clicks in. It's such a satisfying Pete, little Have you ever used an eight track? It. I was gonna, I was about to say, PJ, do you remember the eight tracks? And no, I've never used an In fact, track. I do remember eight tracks. I have an eight track player in nice. my car. Nice. I've, I've just always heard the sound is so dog shit on them. It's not oh, worth garbage. With. I have yeah. one eight track tape that I found at uh, a Goodwill. And yeah. I was like, maybe it's just bad. And I was looking it up. Just sounds like dog shit. I mean, it's like yeah. a Nintendo cartridge you shove into your fucking car. Yeah. And then it it sounds like horse shit. I imagine it's kind of like VHS where it's like, even if something's only available on VHS, like you just got to hope someone copies that to a DVD because like just yeah. VHS quality is so bad. Yeah. Um, And they're all full screen. <laughs> Every yeah. single thing. Hey, this is totally out of nowhere. But I was on a plane a little while ago, and they had the thing where you can connect to their Wi-Fi and, like, watch movies on your phone. Yeah. Because they don't pay for the screens, I guess, anymore. I don't know. Yeah. Some of them do. And, yeah, it kind of seems like they're giving up now that this is a thing with the phones, though. But anyway. Yeah, makes sense. Um, I didn't really know what to watch, so I just chose The Born Identity because I haven't seen it in a minute. And that's just a good one to, you know, watch. If you, yeah. Yeah. Just because you don't remember on. what happens. The digital version of the born identity on delta airlines in flight entertainment was a full screen cut (laughs) and i have no idea why it is so insane because like i mean it probably came out at full in full screen because it came out in like 2001 or two or something but there's obviously a widescreen version like it played in theaters and i gotta imagine even back then there was a widescreen dvd Maybe so it's, it's because of how they filmed it at the time, because it, it was wild. like the shaky cam thing. See, I think I rewatched those in college. Maybe? That's probably the last time I saw them. And I don't remember watching in full screen. Like, I kind of feel like I'd remember that. Mm. 
Let me just Google it real quick. It was truly wild. I, I hadn't seen a that wide screen or a full screen movie hardly ever. The last one I watched was uh, on VHS. I have uh, the original um, release of Star Wars, A New Hope. Oh, yeah. And we yeah. watched that one time because it doesn't have all of the, you know, updated right. George Lucas stuff. Um, it yeah, was d- I still... Awful quality, and it was full screen. It was not widescreen. Yeah. I still have my original, you know, pre-CGI VHSs of those as well. I still need to figure out how to get the, whatever the super enhanced remastered ones are that someone made like 10 or 15 years ago. Yeah. Well, probably like 10 years ago. I still need to figure why? out how to download those. They can't release. Um... Yes, you told me on the show. <laughs> Did, okay, we've talked Sorry. about this. Yeah. Okay. Sorry. I just wasn't sure. It's um, just funny. Yeah. It's such Let's a petty see. move. On January 21st, 2003, Universal Pictures released The Born Identity in the U.S. on VHS as well as a collector's edition DVD in two formats, widescreen and full screen. So fuck you, Delta. How the hell did you not get Maybe it was full, cheaper to get the version? rights to just the full screen. Why would the full screen version even exist in digital? That's what I'm saying. <laughs> that doesn't make any sense at all. Unless it was only shot on yeah. full on like a square camera or on square film. It doesn't. Yeah, well, it was, it was shot entirely with a Polaroid camera. So, yeah. it, you know, it's a flip book, basically. Anyway, so PJ, before those eight tracks and VHS, but we're not talking movies, we're talking music. Um, do you remember a little old thing? And you might have seen them coming back recently. I seem, I seem to think my local Barnes & Noble has a rack now, so they must be popular. Um, do you remember a thing called the Vinyl Long Play Record? Oh, you mean vinyls? I think it's... I mean, I don't know if people have nicknames for them, but I think the official name is a vinyl long play record. They also did have vinyl extended play records, but those are less common, I think. Yeah. As far as I've been able to I think I remember what you're talking about. (laughs) Okay. But I used all mine as Frisbees. (laughs) Oh, yeah. Yeah, I definitely have done that before, but I was recently like in this antique store that was so dusty, it looked like they hadn't gotten anything new in there for, you know, years. And hidden in the back, like under just a pile of garbage, were all these old records. Um, and I, I'd, I'd barely ever seen one before, to be honest. But yeah. in that stack, there were all four of Pink Floyd's 70s records in, oh, wow. in really nice condition. Huh. And so I, I grabbed them all and I said, I don't even, yeah, I thought about throwing them and then I realized that might you know damage it somehow although i have no way to listen to it it won't fit in the cd player so um really huh. yeah but i bought them all i think they were literally like five cents each because they didn't know what they were either the person owning the place so so i have these records and uh i thought we'd maybe talk about them a little bit because we've talked about the art and everything but having the physical lp gives you a little more detail than you know about yeah uh, from before so So starting with, there's not, I will say, there's not anything particularly interesting that hasn't, that we haven't talked about. Um, Mm -hmm. Like there's not detail that we've missed or anything. I did figure out my copy of Dark Side was the original copy. Oh, wow. An original-ish pressing because it has um, Breathe and On the Run as two separate tracks. So that's an original pressing you got for five cents? Yeah, I know. Just a nickel. Well, to be honest, I didn't have a nickel. She had to break it. Well... I Venmoed, I think, the 20 cents. Okay. Um, yeah, because she didn't It was have very confusing. No one really knew what quarter. to do, to be honest. Yeah. 
So the only thing that is significant, I would say, that we haven't talked about and won't talk about on this episode or in the future is they are the only band I have ever seen mm-hmm. that on the center label of every single record has their own like design and artwork on it. It's not just the generic company logo. Like all hmm. the David Bowie records I have are like just the generic company logo. Like every... Um, yeah. I can't think of that being... I guess what I'm trying to say is it kind of blew my mind that all four of these have their own artwork on it just because it's so common for the record to just I mean, be... I have definitely seen and, records. Like, record companies, yeah. colors and everything. I have seen records like that. But for yeah. an artist to get multiple ones, that's kind of crazy. Yeah, and also at the time, like it's not a reissue yeah. or something, you know. Right. So anyway, so for Dark Side, they have um, like a little triangle, not with the prism light through it, but just like yeah. the triangle itself. So kind of cool, not crazy cool. Um, so, and then Wish You Were Here was next. Oh yeah, and Wish You Were Here is really cool because it's, it's a design I feel like I see other places with them, but mm-hmm. I really like it as the record label. Um, it's this little graphic oh. of like robots shaking yeah. hands. It's yeah. really fucking cool. I really, yeah. And That's it's good... really cool colors too. It's like black and blue and it's, it's an excellent design. It'd be a good tattoo to get if I liked Pink Floyd. Um, well, after this show finishes, PJ will yeah, have to we'll get a Pink Floyd tattoo. So. I'll just get a triangle. <laughs> oh, okay. Um, people think you're a lesbian from the nineties, PJ. I am a lesbian from the 90s. Oh, well, problem solved then. Yeah. You're just leaning into your true self. I love that. Um, Quite literally, the only other detail I wish you were here that we didn't talk about was that they make it look like the album itself is a little burnt around the edges. Like there's a couple little burn marks on it. I like that. Kind of fun detail. Yeah. Okay, the one we're going to talk about today, we'll talk about the cover and packaging later, but to keep on theme, also has its own labels. Um, distinct labels. So as we'll talk about later, it's all based on animals. It's an allegorical mm-hmm. record. And so on the front, there's a picture of a dog mm-hmm. with like a weird fisheye kind of circular shot of a forest. Like it's the forest all the way around the edge. Like a weird, That's a crazy... Like fisheye thing. It's pretty cool. No, like a, It's a crazy record sticker. And then the B side is um, like a pig and a sheep, it must be. Cause those, those are, are wild. animals on the record. Um, and then again with like the little forest skyline thing that goes all the way around the circle. Those are really impressive for the seventies. I feel like, yeah. I feel like, like not only did they get, were they able to like somehow they convinced the record company to let them do their own labels. Mm-hmm. They put thought into them. <laughs> like they made yeah. them fucking cool. Um, which is kind of wild. And then the wall, which we'll obviously get to next episode. Um, Oops, this is falling apart. My copy of the the packaging is in bad shape. They also, for all of their records after Dark Side, they put them in like special sleeves, which are cool, but they fall as, apart like crazy. Yeah. So. Sometimes those suck. Sometimes they're really nice, but. Yeah. So for the wall, they have from the artist, I believe it's the guy we already talked about who did some of their cartoons, but he did like little cartoons. Oh. For the yeah. labels. I'm not going to pull out the second disc, but it's no, just I more like kind of little cartoons. Yeah, that's good. Um, I like that. And like they have the wall graphics on it and stuff, and it's just like a little scene or whatever. So again, just like a surprising amount of graphic oversight, 
I guess, essentially, which like we knew that they had carte blanche for the cover and sleeves, but it's pretty wild to have it extend that far, honestly. Totally. Um, That's cool. So, yeah, I like that's that. kind of a fun detail. Um, yeah. So that's what you get, I guess, when you get, um, what do they call it, physical media? So that's what you get, I get, when you have, I, I think it's called physical media. Um, mm. I am looking forward to, in like 30 or 40 years, when music will somehow be played differently, I'm sure. Um, people somehow digging up, I don't know how this would exist, but somehow, like how they would dig this up, but somehow digging up the Spotify like albums where they have all the yeah. animated graphics for each yeah. song and just being like, oh my God, that's kind of cool, but so retro. Yeah. <laughs> like, okay. Like, I guess people probably only listen to music in VR or some shit. I've, I've thought about this a little. Yeah, like how, and I'm sure that like when music was on, you know, wax, they were like, right. this is so like revolutionary. Like, I don't know yeah. how we're going to progress after this. I yeah. really cannot fathom how we would progress after digital media. Well, what's weird is that every form so far of physical media has existed for a lot longer, like it's existed for a long time before it got adopted by like the music industry. Yeah. Um, including streaming, like, or including streaming as like the first digital way yeah. and iTunes downloads and stuff like that, you know, you could get all that stuff like in as soon as the internet and computers existed really. Yeah. Um, and so... It is kind of interesting because it's like, I don't, you know, if that holds, then there's some technology now that we're not, that we use for something else probably that will become the way to listen to music, I guess. I don't know. Yeah. What the fuck? (laughs) I don't know though. It'll be, PJ, it's going to be so exciting. The future is so bright for the whole world. It's wild. I got to put shades on. And you know what? Yeah, it's so bright and mostly just around the concept of how will we listen to music. Yeah. yeah. I gotta know. Yeah, you gotta Maybe know. Maybe we'll go and like watch the guys who like make the music. Yeah. Do it like yeah. in um in real time. Yeah. Yeah. No, that's I don't, crazy. I don't think the visual thing will work because like even now when people like there was the trend of doing visual albums for a little bit where they do like music videos for every song. That shit sucks. And it does suck. And like, even I think people who really liked it, it's still like you watch it one or twice the week the album comes out and then you're done. Like you just want to listen to it after that. Yeah. Um, yeah. So like, uh, yeah. which we'll get to when we, you yeah. know, talk I mean, about maybe, the but it could be, I feel like it would have to be some sort of like augmented reality thing where like you're walking around and then just like the band's also playing in front of you, but then you can't see anything. So, uh, a real don't worry darling situation sure yeah that's right um but uh what am i trying to say but yeah so much of music is like going out and about while listening to music so i don't really know how exactly it would change from just yeah. streaming it but oh well. i mean honestly we've regressed from tv shows to a point like podcasts are huge right now and have been for the last 10 years yeah. and it's like who would have thought that radio shows were gonna come back you know Yeah, that's a good point in a different way. Well, we're going to take a quick break, and then we'll be right back with you. See you all on the other side of 
this record with a unique label. That's a good one. You know that I care. And I know that you care. And we're back. Yeah, welcome back, everybody. We're talking Pink Floyd. We're talking animals. And no, these guys didn't get pets. As far as I know, they might have had pets. Yeah, we don't know. It wasn't mentioned in Wikipedia or the book I'm reading. Um, Which we just need to remind everybody, he is reading a book. Yes, I am reading a book. And before uh, we get into it, I guess let's drop it now. Most, unless I say otherwise, all of this information is from the book. Pink Floyd, all the songs, the story behind every track by Jean-Michel Goudon and Philippe Magoton. It's in I'm French, so it's been really hard for him so. to, to read. Yeah, it's no good. But, so that's why none of this is correct at all. Um, it's, actually a, it's actually a book about a totally different band. All right, so when we left off from the Floyd, they had come back from the brink of breaking up. They made Wish You Were Here. They toured somewhat successfully although uh there was some criticism of their performances and then ended from whom and all of them still felt like we don't really know how to keep going after this Uh, crazy it was already kind of our last gasp or they felt like it was kind of their last gasp thing um so despite the fact that they were um not really sure how to keep going um, they de- they were committed to staying together essentially at this point because they buy their own studio in London. So it's a three-story building and they buy it initially to use uh, as a warehouse for their touring equipment and then quickly add offices and a recording studio because their contract with Um, I think it was EMI still Um, their contract no longer paid for unlimited recording time and they of course had to have that unlimited recording time so they built their own yeah Um, of course and then they added the offices that's why we built our own podcast studio (laughs) that's right because we we do 30 hour takes each episode yeah you guys and I cut it down to the most manageable yeah um it's like Napoleon. There is like a seven-hour movie out there, but two and a yeah. half, feel lucky, you know? Yeah. You got the good stuff. Exactly. Um, You're welcome. Yeah, that's right. So, and then they added the offices because they ended up basically hiring their entire road crew as just full-time employees. So, essentially, they had toured so much for so long. They apparently toured nine months of the year, pretty much every year since wow. like the late 60s. You get have a baby in that amount of time. And so their road crew, that's right their road crew were basically, you know, full-time employees. Like, they just get three months off and then go back to it. Um, But they were now transitioning into touring for maybe six months and then taking, like, a year and a half off. But they didn't want to just let all these guys go. So they hired them all, and apparently they came up with this plan to rent out all their equipment because they had really nice touring equipment and lights and, like, this crew knew how to, you know, set up a cool light show and all that. So they thought, well, we can hire these guys out when we're not touring. Like, they can go do other shows. They can rent the equipment out, et cetera. And we'll make some of our money back, um, you know, from buying the building, from building their own studio, all of their 
stuff they're spending a ton of money on. I'm sure all their tour stuff. Um, so this did not go well. <laughs> the group was called Britannia Row Productions because that was the street Britannia Row that the that it was on. Well, seems um, like they stole that from somebody. Yeah, that's right. Um, and they did put on a lot of concerts in the late seventies and early eighties, but it wasn't profitable until the mid eighties when the band gave up and just handed the reins to the crew members who were kind of running it already. And then it became a very, very profitable business. So hmm. weirdly, just that is that not yeah. shocking news to me. I mean, d- beside the fact that I wouldn't trust them to like run a business like that, I also just, I can't imagine they cared. Even with that year and a half off, there was no way they were showing up to see how Britannia Row Productions was doing. They barely care about making their own music, which is like their livelihood. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Let alone a side hustle, you know? Yeah. Um, And then they built their studio. It apparently looked like shit because this (laughs) building was built out of like these old shitty cinder blocks and it was like a really small space that they had to build it in. Um. But they apparently, they prioritized equipment and, like, recording capability over the vibes. Um, they got their 24-track recorder. Uh, apparently, it was Aren't also... the architecture students? Shouldn't yeah. they care about the vibes a little yeah. bit more? That's a good point. But then also, they're nerds. So, like, of course, they're like, well, we'll get a 16-track. Yeah. But also, like, there's no floor in here. You know? Yeah, there was some quote. There was a quote that Roger said it looked like a prison. But, like, he wasn't really bothered by that. <laughs> it's just uh, like, oh, uh, looks like a prison. Cool. Um... Along with the 24-track, for some reason, they needed also a separate 4-track and a separate 2-track recorder. Not sure what the point of that is, but whatever. Um, In case you got to make two tracks. Um, So, and then according to my book, they went into a lot of technical detail about all the equipment. I know nothing about recording equipment, so none of it made any sense to me. But I, apparently the upshot is, is that they got pretty good equipment, but not great equipment, because again, they just didn't have a lot of money. So they were kind of doing the best they could. Um, apparently, this is in 1975. They still had not gotten their Dark Side of the Moon royalties, which is kind of crazy. Um, wow. Is, so, there, is their manager a man named Alan Klein? <laughs> yeah, I know, right? So uh, anyway. So they build this studio. It's finished in like late 75, 66, and they got to start coming up with the next album. The only person who seems bothered about this is Roger. Of course. I, I mean, like, literally, I didn't find anything else about the other band members trying to come up with an idea, putting anything forward, thinking, hey, we could maybe do this. It's just all Roger. So maybe they did, but history, you know, the, the what is it? Vict- uh, the victor the goes winners to spoils. Right, history or whatever. History is written by the winners. Sorry. Mm. Um, and I guess in this period of pink floyd's career he was the winner in that he took control of the band <clears throat> so this is solidly on the wikipedia page the roger water yes years. exactly yeah. yeah yeah back all the way back to the beach boys boys um so roger was going through a really rough time he was divorcing his wife but he was also feeling so he was feeling very down but was also very inspired by a lot of socio-economic things that were happening in Britain at the time. So we'll give, we'll give kind of a quick rundown. Um, so in the seventies, the economy in the UK was going downhill very, very fast. Um, the economy slowed down. Inflation was going up. 
uh, like crazy. There was a record number of people unemployed. Um, both the Tory, aka right wing, and Labour, aka left wing parties were like in charge of the government during this time, and neither of them could get do anything to stop this kind of economic disaster, essentially. Mm. So Britain was very disaffected, you know, even people who were, I don't know, are, who were into government and thought it could fix it were like, obviously it can't. Um, so this whole kind of era uh, spawned the first wave of British punk music um, alongside this feeling that mainstream rock was getting too overwrought, too serious, too, you know, self um, full of itself. What you watching? What? Oh. <laughs> I thought that was on your end. Yeah, this is now a uh, documentary with, like, the clips where it, you know, you mentioned, like, the early, the 70s in Britain. We're talking the sex pistols. We're talking the clash. Anyway. And then there's a, so it's this, and then there's a record scratch. So, <laughs> yeah, exactly. Uh, it's this, and then. And people rrr! couldn't believe that he is. Or something. Yeah. We went from this to this. Um, Just setting up the scene for everyone. Yeah. So, rather than, like, feel threatened or offended or anything, apparently Roger and the whole band really kind of took that judgment to heart and were like, yeah, we totally see that. Like, we also came from, like, an underground kind of place and with the same essential ideas of, like, the world we're in sucks and we're going to, you know, make, like, dirty, scuzzy music about it. Um, And so they didn't really get far enough to realize maybe we shouldn't keep making the overwrought already self-serious music, but yeah. they did at least recognize like they, they like respected the punk movement essentially and didn't like feel threatened by it. Um, Good. Cause the punk music, you know, they really needed Pink Floyd's validation. That's what I'm saying. Well, it's very, it's funny. Roger, Roger's a character. We'll get to it. Um, so, but <laughs> during a good way to put it around this time, uh, I think at this point he's solidly just a character. <laughs> he's, he's somewhat inoffensive and not quite a raging asshole yet. So, yeah. you know, or at least yeah. as far as we know in private life, he might've already been. Who knows? He is getting a divorce. So like he has to say something. Yeah. So around this time as well, um, there's a famous photo of Sid Vicious wearing a Pink Floyd shirt that then he hand wrote, um, fuck, I think at the top, like oh. Pink Floyd. Or no, it's I hate, sorry. I didn't write it in my notes. So I was just trying to remember. He hand wrote I hate above it. And just, yeah. So they were like kind of a poster child among other bands like Led Zeppelin or like yeah. Alan Parsons Project by this time, probably. But like a, a poster child of like bands who just got they're just so into themselves and they've made this ridiculous kind of rock music. Um, so, but I guess, hey, wait, wait, sorry, just, yeah, go ahead. Um, can I just pull up the clip of him, of Sid Vicious talking about, uh, his Pink Floyd shirt? Oh, I didn't know there was a clip. Yeah, let's do it. We're still, we're still continuing down this path of it being a documentary with little interstitials. Are we turning into on? <laughs> oh no. Oh no. We're playing actual audio clips from the time. This is bad. <laughs> This is real bad, guys. I just hate how, like, I mean, Sid Vicious's whole thing was like, fuck Pink Floyd, fuck Led Zeppelin, they're so self-serious, and we're like, punk rock. And then, like, he just sounds like such a, like, guy with no fucking sense of humor in this clip. And this is, I think, like, from probably 20 years ago, so it was, you know, 
kind of like after, after the time. yeah. yeah. For the Sex Pistols. All right, uh, walking down King's Road in my Pink Floyd T-shirt, which is a horrible, sickening green, a nice, sweet picture of them, and in a magic marker I wrote "I hate" on the top. Uh, at that time, you couldn't have been more disgusting and pissed people off in such a way than to do something like that, because nobody thought of criticizing something as sacrosanct. As Pink Floyd, I mean, they were the royal family of of music. I just hate. Cool. I, Sid Vicious is just a bad guy. <laughs> like, also, as an aside, an adopting like parts of Nazi culture was in the early British punk movement, but insulting yeah. Pink Floyd was definitely the most egregious thing they could have done. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. Instead of shaving their heads and wearing, um, you know, combat boots and stuff. Anyway. Um, so, yeah, so, but Roger, uh, or what am I trying to say? In, like, 1978, I think, too, like, Nick Mason was friendly with some punk bands and ended up producing a record and stuff. So, like, they oh. at least were trying to not be, I don't know. Anyway, um, so, but they took this judgment to heart, and Roger wrote a five-song, 41-minute album about it. Hmm. Cool. Just, we'll show those punks we care about them. <laughs> Listen to a 17-minute song with a bunch of you synthesizers. Know, they do. <laughs> 60 second songs and yeah. they have 40 of them on an album yeah. what we're gonna do same thing basically they're essentially like an uncle like trying to connect with you and just being like oh yeah you like this sort of thing and then just being so off base with what it is you like about it yeah like, anyway so roger uh inspired partially by uh george orwell's animal farm uh mostly just taking the allegory of like using a farm animals to mean something about Politics. socio yeah politics yeah. and economics and stuff um i don't believe because that was more about um communism in russia i believe so yeah this is and this is anyway so he worked out kind of his own allegory so he divided society into pigs who are the capitalist overlords um raking in money and keeping this unfair system going um i guess i'll just start this is a very uh anti-capitalist record so we're getting further into it. I know. Who could dare? Of course they wrote this before they got their royalties to fucking Dark Side. They wouldn't have written this if they had those by then. Yeah, it's an interesting thing. We'll we'll get into that a little more in this episode and then on future episodes too. But anyhow. Um so and then the dogs are middle class people who either are like desperate to become pigs so that they can be on top, um, or who are just kind of stuck in the middle and don't know how to escape the system. I've always said dogs want to be pigs. That's right. Uh, and then the sheep are the masses who have no influence on any of this stuff and just have to go along with it. Oh, so um, they have no changed. way to move to move up. Yeah. Um, just those sheeple on their iPads. Yeah, exactly. Drinking so, their Starbucks. So be aside from the fact that, yes, they are rich and mostly I think they're losing money because they're bad with money. Yeah. Um, <laughs> like if they had a Rolling Stones type manager, they would be extremely rich right now. I think. Oh, yeah. But, um, or their accountant guy, the prince or duke or whoever was their accountant. Yeah. Like, if they had that guy working for them, they would be fine. I miss him. But it also is, like, you know, they've done this on their last two albums. Ben, you know, Money was definitely kind of a, at least soft, or it was a softer maybe take, but, you know, satirical and anti-capitalist to a degree. And then, uh, you know, being really critical of the record industry and its focus on money on Wish You Were Here. So, like, 
there's there's precedent for this. This isn't necessarily coming out of nowhere. Right. Um, but it is a very interesting dichotomy. And Roger was aware of the dichotomy at the time. Because um, he was... But not so aware that he didn't make the album. <laughs> well, he was more aware of the, the economic kind of di- disparity yeah. of him being this rich rock star writing this album. Because right. he would talk a lot at the time and still does to some degree about, you know, capitalism being bad and there being a lot better ways to organize your uh, economic structure. He ain't um, wrong. <laughs> uh, and so, no, he's not at all. Capitalism's arguably maybe the worst one. So, mm-hmm. um, at least for humanity at large. So, uh, sorry, I just got lost in my notes. So he would talk about that a lot and I think was kind of feeling at this point like he maybe needed to walk the walk because he was starting to become this rich rock star who was maybe starting to get a bit disconnected and stuff. And so he was like, all right, I got to buckle down and like be a man of the people kind of and own own my beliefs to some degree. Um, so so that basically is all the all the concept for this record. Um, so. Let's see. Oh, one more thing, kind of, it's, we could talk about this when we get to the song, but it's like a minute long, so, uh, the and it's kind of related to the concept. The name Pigs on the Wing um, is apparently a phrase that the Air Force used to use. I'm not clear on whether it's Royal Air Force or the U.S. Air Force or both, but it was meaning if you had an enemy come up to your side, like next to your wing on either side, you'd say, I got pigs on the wing. Um, mm. So apparently Foo Fighters stole the idea. Anyway, um, bastards. So, yeah, so this song he wrote. So, while he was writing this album, he met and married his second wife. Um, <laughs> that was a quick turnaround. Yeah, kind of quick. I, I kind of got to think maybe they knew each other like while he and his wife were breaking up or something. But I don't know. These rock stars, I feel like they get married quick a lot of times. That's true. Um, so, anyway, so he wrote it after they got married and, um, kind of wanted basically it turns out he realized they needed a dose of optimism on the album because it's very very dark yeah um and then also was just inspired because he was very in love and then keeping with the themes he felt like she kept him a little bit grounded in terms of like he wasn't rising up to be a pig he wasn't aspirational or anything like a dog he wasn't being a sheep he was he was feeling like their relationship kept him like grounded in a way where he, he could was navigate. a horny little snake. He could navigate this world view that he had kind of created, essentially. Um, so, and I mean, as much as it can be referencing allegorical animal references, it's kind of just a straight up love song, uh, which is cool, or and kind of just interesting. Like "Wish You Were Here" is the closest thing I think to like a love song that they've had so far, maybe. Yeah, I think so. Um, and even that's kind of forlorn, like it could be a breakup song. Um, so, and also one more thing. Again, this song's a minute long, so we can't talk about this stuff during it. The original version was just one song. It split up into two on the album, and there was a solo in the middle. Um, and apparently, uh, Roger accidentally deleted it. <laughs> this is what happens when you, they build their own studio. So anyway, I'll actually get to that detail later. Um, I mean, we're gonna get into neither of us can can say that we haven't done that. Yeah. So they built their own studio for the first time in a while. They brought in someone else to produce. They've been self-producing since like Amagama or something. Um, Hmm. 
So they brought in a guy named Brian Humphreys who had worked with them before. I think he had worked with them on tour and like in the studio before. Um, they were friends. It turned out to kind of be a mistake because apparently Brian Humphreys um, was not an anti-capitalist at all and would make that known during their sessions when they were talking about lyrics and stuff. Seems so like a cool guy. It was kind of awkward and he did not work for them after they finished this record. So hmm. yeah, very interesting. Um, unclear on whether he was like being an asshole or whether they were like kind of having conversations and he tried to like kind of have a friendly debate let's say and they were still pissed about that yeah i mean either way pretty obnoxious <laughs> oh totally um it's like the worst dude you know at a bar right yeah so recording overall went fairly smoothly for it being you know in their new studio uh for the band not being particularly happy with each other um of all the people nick mason thinks that this i think he said that wish you were here was pretty chill too and then on this one he said i actually think it was more laid back than wish you were here so I think Nick Mason just kind of has the Ringo syndrome where he just sits in the back and like goes to sleep while everyone else is arguing and then is like, yeah, it was a chill day. Yeah. <laughs> You're fine. Everyone got along okay, right? He's like Denny taking a nap in the bass drum. Um, That's exactly right. But also, he doesn't have as much natural talent as Ringo. So it's not like no. he can just wake up from a nap and then, you know, do a drum fill. That's right. He's, <laughs> you can tell he's struggling. Yeah. So, but this, this is the first album where Roger is straight up like, this is my album, essentially. Um, His lyrics, his songs, he's making the final choices. Um, Only one other band member got a writing credit. Um, David Gilmer got a co-writing credit on Dogs because it was an old song uh, that they used to play live occasionally. Um, And then they decided, hey, maybe we should record this. And they adapted it for this. Mm -hmm. And Roger, you know, fit the lyrics in and everything. So, Um, yeah. Okay. And let's see. So Rick, yeah, wasn't credited with writing for the first time in Pink Floyd's history, which is nuts. Um, Apparently, he wasn't super happy with the record, mostly apparently because he didn't think there was a lot of need for synths and keyboards and everything which is kind of weird because there's a fuck ton of synths on this record so so many i'm not really sure where that's coming from um like i feel and he's like also really good like i think he's as good as ever sounds on great this record yeah but that was my one thing i was like going from wish you were here to this i feel like there's far more effects and stuff yeah we'll get into it when we talk about the album but we talked on the last one about or at least me and whoever i read online thinking it's kind of minimalist. This is like a similar musical style, I feel like, but not minimalist anymore. Like they are layering 16 things on top of each other. Yeah. Yeah. Um, And then he also um, didn't enjoy Roger's new style. He felt like Roger was taking charge in a way where like he was the songwriter and they're just his band to to play the songs um, as opposed to everyone working together. Um, You know, most people have this arc that they're having within six or seven years yeah um and then they break up they're like doing it over a 20 year period where they're like actually fuck you you know well i think that i think like until 73 it almost doesn't count because there was zero there was nothing going on like there was no pressure they were barely writing songs like i think probably it start like it seems like it started once there became this pressure to follow up on their great album yeah and roger was the one who took that pressure who 
took that pressure on. Not that other people wouldn't have, but he took it and ran with it and didn't give anyone else a chance. So um, it kind of seems like. So, um, oh yeah, I also, I mentioned Roger deleted one solo. He also apparently deleted a different solo at some point. <laughs> I feel like it was much harder to delete stuff in 1977 Not than it sure is now. Not sure how that's possible. David Gilmore has insisted in interviews after he doesn't think it was on purpose. He's like, I really think it was just an accident, but who knows? I mean, it doesn't, I don't know. It'd be kind of, I guess it would be petty, but that's, of all things, they don't seem that petty. To me like it doesn't seem like they're passive aggressive toward each other it just seems like they either don't talk at all or they actively are like fuck you i hate you you know yeah they don't seem I, like I a kind of a little petty thing. band to me where they would like, it's do stuff like that to each other kind of like hollow notes where it's like when they got right. along they got along and then when they don't it's like restraining order you know right <laughs> um yeah so, and then kind of the last little bit on the recording here is that Davey, uh, when Pigs on the Wing was brought in kind of at the last last minute, Roger had a burst of inspiration and he said, oh my God, I have this song. I think it would be really good on this record. Um, and he wanted it to bookend the record, split in half. David was fucking pissed because their royalties and their contract at that time were based on number of songs you wrote yeah not of like course. not anything else and so that's upping roger's count from three to four and like diminishing his piece and also he's the only other band member who's getting anything so right um he was very upset about that i think with good reason um i mean at least like obviously roger wasn't going to do this but i'm surprised there wasn't maybe more arguing about trying to get like nick or rick just credited on tracks just to like hey man we're a full band like everyone kind of yeah. needs something here um it's just kind of a wild thing to do uh yeah i would agree with that That's... so the album art um also roger's idea and direction but before roger came up with the idea hypnosis came to them with two ideas i seem to remember last time they came to them with an idea it fucking sucked so these improve on that um they knew it was animal they they knew the concept of the album and they knew i think they wanted to call it animals so their first idea was a take on, apparently it was a British like decoration style at the time where they would have ceramic ducks on the wall, like in cottages and stuff. So okay. their first idea would be to get real dead ducks and nail them above a fireplace and then take a photo. Um, oh. Which, yeah. while it's ridiculous and pretty grotesque, I actually don't hate as an idea. <laughs> Especially if like they knew that they were trying to maybe be a little more punk and everything. Like, Yeah. It's not the worst idea to me, I will say. Um, it's definitely a lot better than their second idea, which was a picture, I assume drawn, <laughs> a picture of a child, like, from behind their head, them looking away from the camera, watching their parents have sex. <laughs> oh, yeah, don't yeah. like that idea. Yeah, that's a weird one. Um, I think Storm's reasoning was that, like, they're animals having, like, they're like animals having sex no matter who's there. Anyway, the band said, no, thank you. <laughs> Good. We will, we will do our own thing. They made um, a reasonable decision. Yeah. So it, it was a hypnosis joint, but only because they executed on the idea. Um, so Roger, on his way to the studio, would walk past this uh, partially decommissioned power station uh, called Battersea Power Station, which is, if you haven't seen the cover, huge concrete building. It's got these four tall smokestacks on each corner. 
um it's a pretty insane building honestly especially for being like kind of in the middle of london um yeah i wonder what it is now i think it's still there because they've done they've done stuff where they've like flown the pig again over it i think as recently as like the 2000s that would be worth double checking what was it called Battersea, b-a-t-t-e-r-s-e-a power station I guess i kind of just feel like i would have heard if it had been torn down at some point like that would be news you know well it looks like it's still there okay cool it's a shopping mall now wait really yeah let's that's let's pretty sick actually that's cool i love a shopping malls. mall in a weird weird building yeah that's fun holy fuck that's so weird yeah it's just a weird mall that's crazy that's cool it's got an abercrombie and fitch in there oh my god you can go to the abercrombie and fitch in battersea power station yeah that's boy i know you know anti-capitalism is the theme of the day but i honestly kind of love that that (laughs) That rules so so much i mean it's ironic for them but then it's also just very funny even if this wasn't an anti-capitalist album it would just be very funny that this iconic building just has a mole in it (laughs) yeah that rules that's so fucking funny um Wow, I wonder if the food court had one of Bill Wyman's restaurants in it at any point. Bill Wyman's Hot Wings or whatever yeah, it was. Yeah, yeah his so. American food joint. All right. So anyway, so you'd walk past this station every day. Um, he really liked it. He thought like that it was very imposing and very indicative of, you know, the kind of... Uh, of... Sorry, of the, you know, capitalist past, basically, that he's trying to... And, present that he's trying to take on um <laughs> i forgot that bill Wyman's, wyman's restaurant was called sticky fingers <laughs> that's incredible they did not give you the little towelettes to wipe up you had to walk no. out there with sticky fingers you weren't allowed to wash up or anything um, why would you be able to yeah he also appreciated uh i guess that the four towers on each side were very phallic which yeah sure mm-hmm. also most buildings but anyway yeah um and also not particularly phallic honestly oh not more so than others i feel like your dick doesn't look exactly like a old power station smokestack i mean really smooth and kind of cylindrical like that no head yeah just flat yeah just Just flat flat i it feels good i hear um anyway So, and then he came up with this idea of a pig floating above it as like this kind of like deity, I guess, like floating above it, just observing the world, but totally detached. Um, Somehow this pig reference is supposed to be hopeful while all the other pig references are evil. So, I mean, they've always been consistent. So I'm a little unclear on Roger's um, idea, but to be fair, that is the single time on this whole album that I don't really get what he's doing. So, um, yeah, I don't understand, but it makes for an incredible cover anyway. So, Oh, so I was going to say, you probably disagree with this. I think this album cover sucks shit. I hate it. Oh yeah. I think I wouldn't have said this like last week when you were doing wish you were here. But when I pulled these records out earlier today, I'm like, like as a record in front of me, to me, I think it's the most grabbing 
of their four 70s records or four big 70s records Hmm. like it's the one i think i would sit and look at the most basically i think it's a really really well done photo it's actually cooler than i remembered it being i don't like it so that's all right um you don't have to uh, so, Storm hired 12 different photographers so that they could get basically every angle around this um, this place. And they got a pig made by some balloon company from Germany. Oh, apparently, apparently the balloon company started uh, by making Zeppelins, which someone like commented at the time was like, so it better be good. But also that means that's a Nazi company. So, yeah, <laughs> cool. absolutely it is. Cool, cool, cool. Um, Anyway, so the first day, they couldn't get the pig inflated. <laughs> Damn. Well, I think they got it in the air, but it was like, you know, waving around because it just yeah. wasn't, there wasn't enough air in it. Second day, they got it inflated too well. Uh, they lost the mooring on it and it flew away. <laughs> <laughs> it reached 30,000 feet and Heathrow Airport had to ground flights all day until they found the pig and made sure it was out of the airspace. <laughs> Okay, I love this album cover now. <laughs> Just, what the fuck, man? <laughs> also, how did they not like get in any trouble for that? Like the Beatles get threatened with arrest when they're playing a concert on a public or on a private roof, um, and then they have to ground like hundreds of flights, and everyone's like, "Ah, eh, it's worth it though. It's a cool yeah. album cover." <laughs> they're doing pig stuff. It's fine. Maybe they were just like, that's weird that that pig balloon must be from a yeah. barbecue restaurant or something. Yeah. Everyone just ran know. away like no one is. Yeah. Um, the third day, everything was perfect. They got the shot. Pig was up, inflated, beautiful. Uh, except Roger looked at the photos and went, what the fuck? It's sunny. This is supposed to be a sad album cover storm and threw them at him. I'm just kidding. I don't know if he, Roger even saw those, but they knew they wanted like a dark, gloomy sky. Um, so instead of continuing to take photos uh they decided to just cut in the pig and power station from the third day over the background from the first day <laughs> which you know i i maybe don't give enough credit to like the more manual photo editing processes of the 60s and 70s but mm-hmm. i don't think i can tell i think it's really well done i've never noticed or thought to notice that it's different i'm it's sure like some in. fucking nerd ass astrologer or something would yeah. be like well actually this guy's not right i actually wonder yeah i was gonna look at the it looks one pretty thing, good the one thing that i wonder about is like if the somehow cloud. the shadows on the building don't make sense with where the clouds are but i don't know it doesn't really matter yeah so all I'm right no neil degrasse tyson yeah so and then one of the interesting things on this record and i believe the next record is that they have handwritten liner notes that then they just copied um, oh, and this record, they were all handwritten by Nikki, who has really good and cool handwriting. <laughs> That's why like they made him do it. It's very clear. And then it's also just like really funky, cool handwriting. It's it's awesome. Hmm. So um, Animals was released January 23rd, 1977. It went to the number two in the UK and number three in the US. So not as high as Wish You Were Here um wish you were here obviously like it was kind of hit or miss with people although it pre-sold like crazy because of dark side so obviously i mean number two and three are still really good but obviously i guess people still felt a little burnt by wish you were here yeah which i get 
in hindsight, it feels like all of these should have been number one off pre-sales, but um, at the time, they obviously were a little, yeah, a little bit hit and miss to people. So let's go ahead and, and real quick get to the Rolling Stone review of Animals. All right. So this is written by Frank Rose. It came out in March 1977, so they waited... Three months? Two months? No, that's actually fair because it came out at the end of January. And so for the March issue, you know, oh, no. that that's actually like, seems yeah, like a reasonable, a reasonable amount, amount of time. Of time. Yeah. Um, let's see. What other... I was just thinking, I don't know Frank Rose. did he do? He did one for a band called Chameleon. Hmm. Um, apparently that's the band that recorded Lady Marmalade. I never knew that. Or oh, it was yeah. Patti LaBelle's band at the time. I didn't. I yeah, think yeah, the yeah, version yeah. I've ever listened to just says Patti LaBelle. Um, he also wrote a long ass article about uh, the Bee Gees. <laughs> cool. So you know, he's titled Bee Gees: The Saga of a Not So Average White Band. <laughs> Which is uh, cool. maybe, what maybe a maybe funny funny joke at the time. I was going to say, what a reference that stood up to the test of time. Yeah. All right. So this isn't super long, but I will skip around a little bit. For Pink Floyd, this is just the beginning. For Pink Floyd, space has always been the ultimate escape. It's kind of weird that like three whole albums after doing space stuff, people are still like, this band loves outer space. Well, Star Wars had come out, so everybody's, yeah. everybody's got space on the mind. They only, like, directly even referenced it kind of on Saucer Full of Secrets is the thing. But anyway, all right. It still is, but now definitions have shifted. The romance of outer space has been replaced by the horror of spacing out. Uh, the shift has been coming for a while. He mentions Dark Side with its, you know, uh, kind of mental illness bent. Mm -hmm. And Wish You Were Here as well. Jesus. Um, sorry. I just had like a crazy long internal burp that was very strange. I just did the same thing like Where, two like, minutes ago. And it lasted so long. All right. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> That's really funny. You must have given it to me like when you yawn and someone else yawns. Yeah. Um, all right. And now there's animals, a visit to a cacophonous farm where you have to watch for pigs on the wing. Animals is a song suite that deals with subjects like loneliness, death, and lies. Um... Like all Floyd records, this one absorbs like a sponge, but you can still hear the gooey screams of listeners who put up a fight. What's the problem? For starters, the saxophone that warmed Darkside and Wish You Were Here has been replaced by a succession of David Gilmour guitar solos. Thin, brittle, and a sorry substitute indeed. Um, I think he slammed his notepad down at that point and then realized he had to keep writing. The singing is more wooden than ever. The sound is more complex, but not deep. Uh, there's nothing to match the incredible intro to Dark Side of the Moon, uh, for example, with its hypnotic chorus of cash registers recalling the mechanical doom um, of Metropolis. Somehow you get the impression this band is being metamorphed, metamorph, metamorphosed into a noodle factory. <laughs> <laughs> That's funny. Yeah. Maybe that shouldn't be surprising. They were never really welcomed into the 60s avant-garde. Um, but the extraordinary success of Dark Side culminated almost a decade of ever-expanding cult appeal and gave them an audience that must have seemed as boundless as space itself. 
the temptation to follow through with notions of what that audience would like was apparently too strong to resist. They call it warmed over, spaced out heavy metal. Um, even worse, however, is the bleak defeatism that set in. In 1968, they were chanting lines like, why can't we reach the sun? Why can't we throw the years away? Um, this stuff was silly, but it wasn't self-pitying. In 1977, they are bitter and remorse. Um, their message is pointless and tedious. They've always been best at communicating the cramped psychology that comes from living in a place like England, where the 20th century has been visibly superimposed on the others that preceded it. The tension that powers their music is not simply fright at man's helplessness before technology, it's the conflict between modern and the ancient, between technology and tradition. Space is Floyd's way of resolving the conflict. Okay. Um, this guy seems like he's putting a lot of his own thoughts about Floyd into this and yeah. with stuff that like I don't at least we haven't ever heard them say <laughs> or anything right there, there's a lot of stuff that he's like I get I don't know I really yeah. don't know about that animals this is the last the last line animals is Floyd's attempt to deal with the realization that spacing out isn't the answer there's no exit you get high you come down again that's what Pink Floyd has done with a thud all right so all he right. doesn't like it I mean, yeah. fair enough. I think it's a little overwritten, but fair enough. All right, and now Robert Christgau. This has its share of obvious moments, but I can only assume that those who accuse this band of repetitious cynicism are stuck in such a cynical rut themselves that a piece of well-constructed political program music, how did we used to say it? Puts them uptight. Lyrical, ugly, and rousing, all in the right places. B+. Yeah. Okay. So not quite as good. It's one step lower. The wish you were here was a B or an A minus. I mean, so. Can you remind me what a B plus is? Pretty even review, all in all. Yeah. Give me two seconds. PJ, give me two seconds. Okay. I know I'm being redirected. I clicked on the link. All right. B plus is a good record, at least one of whose sides can be played with lasting interest, and the other of which includes at least one enjoyable cut. What happens if there's only one song, one song on one side? <laughs> yeah, this you hadn't thought about that. You before. know what? Pink Floyd broke Robert Christgau's rating system. Yeah. Anyway, all right. So those are our ratings. Let's go ahead and get to PJ, our track by track. Um, I believe. There was not a single from this record. Kind of, of course. Like, I guess they could have done Pigs on the Wing, but it's such, like, it feels like a intro song. Like, it's by itself, it doesn't feel like a full song, so. Yeah. What happened to me? This is Roger singing. He sings for 95% of the album. Yeah. I agree that this does feel like an intro song. I do like it, though. I, I, as much as he's an asshole for doing it, I think the book ending with Pigs on the Wing is a really brilliant way to sequence this album. We would zigzag away Through the bottom of pain Occasionally glancing up through the rain I think it's pretty. Um, I do think it would be better if David sang it. Oh, yeah. 100%. Yeah. 
Um, um, and I've said before, I like Roger's voice, but I think with this, I mean, we're just so used to Davey doing the acoustic songs that I do think you're right, though, that it would fit better with this. But I mean, I don't hate Roger's voice. Just when you know Davey's there to do it, it sucks. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. All right. Now we get into Dogs, the second and final track on the first side of this record. Uh, 17 minutes long, not quite their longest, but it's it's close-ish. Um, yeah. Echoes was 23 minutes. I don't know off the top of my head if one came in. Or I didn't look to see if one came in in between. But. Um, I do sort of like the transition of the acoustic song and then this song beginning with the acoustic guitar. Almost in a way where I kind of wish they had edited it so it just ran into each other a little bit. Uh, like, see, that could have been kind of cool, but... I think it's not. a little clumsy. I feel like it uh, could have yeah. been smoother, was my thought. I like well, what they're going what I'm saying. for. Like, if but... they re-recorded the beginning of this so that it was more of a transition of, like, the yeah. same guitar, but then just picking up a different beat or something. Yeah, I think that would have been good. So this one's about dogs, as we talked. Those are the, the middle-class people. All these songs, or all these lyrics are kind of... Mostly talking to, you know, making it like they're street dogs who are trying to, you know, attacking each other, trying to get out of the street, all that kind of stuff. Um, yeah. This song's long as shit, and it's got a lot of different sections. Like, Echoes was 23 minutes, yeah. but I kind of, I think it only had like four or five sections. This one has like seven, I think. It's, yeah, it's a lot. It's a lot. I do really they're like... back to their same old bullshit. <laughs> I do really like this rhythm, though. And they do this a couple times in the album where they have kind of a little bit of a jazzy rhythm going on. And I think it's cool just in general. I also think it's a cool offset to like the harsher kind of edge of this album. That they're also using kind of this like loping, loungy rhythm. This also kind of sounds a little bit like a jazz solo to me. Like, just in a... Not exactly, but, like, it, for some reason, makes me think of that in a way that I just like that. Yeah. It kind of uh, also sounds like a um, solo that would be on a Steely Dance song. So maybe that's yeah, why I think it kind of so sounds jazzy. you love it. Yeah. I don't like it. Yeah. There if was we, some really great stuff later on yeah let's go and um, skip to 3:30. that's when we kind of move into the second section officially i believe this one they didn't actually break up into tracks like wish you were here that had distinct sections um so now we get rick coming in and like these are good keyboards Yeah, this solo is great. Yeah, now we get into the kind of meat of the song. Basically, just this album's version of the big chorus guitar line from Wish You Were Here. Yeah. Um, it's been a minute since I've listened to this album. I kind of forgot how simple this guitar line is. Like, I, I remember loving it, and I still do love it, but it's very simple i just didn't ever pick up on that i guess the tone is incredible though oh yeah and obviously his playing as always is like makes it really great but yeah. it's just you know there's not actually a lot going on there like i suck at guitar and i could probably learn this <laughs> yeah 
Oh my god, and it kicks up into this part. Yeah. It's really good. This has always been for me in my heart, like, a little bit tied with Shine On You Crazy Diamond in terms of incredible, uh, kind of sweeping emotional guitar lines from Davey. Alright, let's go ahead and get to 5.30. I believe, again, we start into kind of a new section. So very similar, they get into a more bluesy groove here, uh, which is always cool. I love that kind of tremolo. Yeah. It sounds like he's using like the volume fader or something. It's really cool. What did you say? It sounds like he's using what? It sounds like he's like using his pinky on the volume knob or something. Yeah. Or like, a volume it doesn't pedal, sound which like were a... very popular at the time. Oh, okay. It just doesn't sound like, like the whammy bar or something. It's cool. Yeah. This song is a lot of instrumental. Um, there is a lot of... There's a decent amount of singing, but... It's a lot of instrumental. <laughs> it's very Zeppelin-y at this uh, oh, point. Oh, I love With that the, guitar part, man. Yeah. Holy shit. With the organs doing the, like, boom, mm -hmm. boom, boom, this... To me, yeah. sounds like something that could be off of um, In Through the Outdoor or something. Yeah, I can hear that. I also, like, I don't agree. Maybe at the time it sounded more like it. I don't agree that this sounds like there's I don't think it's heavy thin. metal at all. I don't think so either. But I like, like, that guitar line previously. Like, that does sound like something like Eddie Van Halen would do or something. Like the wah, 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 wah thing. So yeah. I like, even this though I don't think that's before. what they're trying to do, I yeah, feel like Davey is like expanding his style a little bit yeah. to kind of get into that new area which is cool um to me i like that. i also he called it thin like his guitar tone was thin, thin and brittle or something i don't you know? agree with that it's very trebly and also like it feels a little bit this album is a lot more layered but like during the guitar solos it kind of feels like that's the only thing going on like i i think i kind of get, get where he's coming from it's just I think not something that's ever bugged me about the album I guess to me, I thought he was talking about his tone was like thin and oh, noodly, yeah. which I don't agree with. That might just be how like trebly and sharp it is, but I don't know. Yeah, I like that. I think it sounds great. But at the time, I guess it was all about like overdrive and like, you know. Maybe, so, yeah. I, I don't know. Um, let's see. Sorry, I'm looking in my notes to figure out where the next section Oh, yeah. Keep it going here. So this is when we move into... Well, how far are we through? We are at 8.07. Yeah. So this is kind of the halfway point of the track. Um, this stone repeat, by the way, goes on 56 times, according to my book. Really? <laughs> yeah. That's uh, about 50 too many. Yeah. Um... Let's see. Let's go ahead and go to like 9:30. There's a little bit of a um, keyboardy section here with dogs barking, of course. The Pink Flo the Floyd love birds flying. They love dogs barking. They love all this sort of stuff. They love breakfast being made. That's right. Um, so oh. apparently, 
solo coming up is going to be on the mini moog so did they put dogs barking through a vocoder is that what i'm hearing yeah yeah apparently that's what they thought that's what they decided to do cool i guess <laughs> i'm assuming this is the mini moog yeah kind of cool i don't know i just want to like rick does have some cool solos they aren't quite as like noticeable i think as davies so i want to see yeah. just give a little bit of credit to him he's really loving that uh modulation yeah he really is um all right let's go ahead and go to like 12 minutes that should get us into this like close to the last section. Oh, sorry, went a little too far. Well, that's okay. I mean, we're just going into the next verse now and Roger picks back up. With singing. The acoustic guitar comes back. That's a nice mm -hmm. little... Yeah, they kind of, they jump back to the first section. Have a return. A coda. Wait. That's not what that means. Yeah, it is. Oh, okay. I'm a little bit confused. Sometimes it seems to me. I really like Rogers singing on most of this album. Like in a little it, bit, it's like there's no alternate, you know? Like it's not like I've ever heard a version without it. But yeah. it just feels right to me here. Even I think in comparison to the wall where I don't love his voice as much, like I do think this album it really works for. I do wish Davy sung more, but on stuff yeah. like this, I do like Rogers' voice here. Like it's just kind of there's loungy, those man it's nice like <laughs> I mean it's kind of loungy kind of zeppelin-y like yeah. I'm like it is a little bit I was going to get to like 1340 I think I'm trying to get in another guitar part here alright here's the last one I it is a little bit Van Halen-y I mean this yeah, is like pre-Van Halen but right but he's kind of getting but they're in like, mode. Beep, you know. They're also kind of the only band of that era I really know. So. Yeah. I mean, Iron Maiden, maybe? A little Iron yeah. Maiden-y? Yeah. All right, and then they repeat this Ooh, part. love the double track guitar. Yeah. Yeah, so we'll get to this person more later well no we won't we'll talk about him right now so for this tour uh they decide to hire a second guitarist he's the only other music oh wait no sorry um they also take dick perry to do older songs but um they hire a second guitarist for the first time a guy named snowy white that's his nickname but um he so i think he does like this stuff on tour and just kind of helps where there's rhythm and lead obviously um, apparently, yeah. though, they had hired him before they started the tour because at some point he was in the studio with them when Roger accidentally deleted the solo from Pigs on the Wing mm -hmm. and then went, oh, shit. Uh, hey, Snowy, you're here. Can you just, like, re-record this real quick? Like, I think trying to cover or something. Um, although I think it's a fully different solo, but so if that had been on the album, we would have had a non-David Gilmore solo for the first time in, like, a yeah. decade. Um. All right, and now we get to the end, which I really like the end of this. I think it's suitably 
you know, for kind of the prog rock epic they're doing, a suitably, like, kind of cool, epic, dark ending. He played bass guitar on the song Sheep, as well as soloing during Have a Seagar. Wait, and Snowy Sh- White? Yeah. Oh, on two. I don't reckon so. He's not credited in my book. Oh, during tour. You're right. I'm sorry. Okay, okay. Um, he was also in Thin Lizzy. Whoa, really? Yeah. Huh. That's cool. I wanted to see what his real name was, and then I started reading about him. Uh, Terrence Charles White. There you go. I mean, I feel Snowy's like... better than Terrence, I guess. I don't know. I feel like Terrence Charles is a dope name. <laughs> Drop the white. Get that out of there. Um, all right, let's go ahead and get to side B and listen to the song Pigs, three different ones, not to be confused with Pigs on the Wing, part one. Oh, okay. Yeah, I was confused because um, it's basically the same fucking name. This song's 11 and a half minutes long. Uh, Davey's mm. playing the bass, and it's noticeably different and so much better. Like, he's doing this bass line and everything. <laughs> He's on Rick Wright's 1978 solo album, Wet Dream. Nice. We'll we'll do an episode about their solo albums at some point. He's on four different Roger Waters solo albums. Oh, nice. Okay. One of them is The Wall Live in Berlin, so that doesn't count. Um, I really, really like this song. (laughs) I'll just say it up top. I think this is probably the strongest song on the album for me. Hmm. Um... Not counting Pigs on the Wing because it's like two different mini songs, but um, yeah, yeah, I think this song is amazing. The bass is honestly fucking incredible. Like Davey should be playing bass all the time, even though he's a better guitar player. But anyway, um, and I think it's the strongest musically. Like it's even though it's 11 minutes, it feels a lot tighter. I guess just coming after Dogs, it feels really tight and put together. There's no meandering at all, and I like the lyrics, and I like Roger's voice a lot. Like, that's a... I don't know. I like it, man. He makes good choices here. Oh, at the beginning, I didn't quite hear it through my headphones, but Davey uh, uses a talk box to grunt like a pig. You should have prepped me for that, Pete. Yeah, I know, I know. Sorry. Uh, he also has a talk box solo on this song, which is also why it's one of my favorite songs on the album, or potentially uh-huh. my favorite. I know a guy who loves talk box. And I love like this kind of breakdown with the cowbell man. God damn. I like the piano in the background. Bum bum. Yeah, this song's got great piano. The the grand piano is awesome like there's also other keyboards but that piano line is sick um the whole song yeah i love the slide down the keyboard man god damn um all right let's go ahead and get to 513 if we're not close i believe it's just kind of instrumental before this starts so This talk box is so good. 
It's okay. Oh, man. It's like maybe not technically that great, but I really love the effect on this song. Like I think it just fits really well. In, fits really well in like the dark kind of menacing mood of the album and everything. I just love Talkbox solos because imagining a guy like making the faces that would be required to record this is just very, very funny. Like everyone just looks like Joe Walsh when they're using a Talkbox. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's so ridiculous. And like, especially for Davey, he seems like such a serious guy in the studio. Yeah. It's just It's so also wild. hard as shit to use a Talkbox. Yeah. I bet. Ooh, fucking hey, Do you hear that bass line? Yeah. <laughs> That's good. Um, good All right, uh, let's go ahead and get to, like, where are we right now? I'm sorry. 701. Let's get to eight minutes. How did I'm I I'm trying to not... get to the next solo. I listened to this album. How did I not ever realize there was Talkbox on it? You might have been zoning I've listened to it maybe three point. times. You and... might have been zoning out by the third song, <laughs> yeah. 30 minutes into the album. I, I don't like that. Whatever I, I love it actually it's like yeah it's it. one of my favorite Roger things I think he ever does um, we could go another like minute and a half maybe I'm trying to get to the solo after this verse I kind of like this part that kind of a little funky quiet breakdown a bit Whoop. Here we go. Whatever the beginning of this is. I feel like that's a new thing for him. The like, I feel like he wasn't doing that before. Yeah. And I think that must be some sort of like, I don't know, heavy metal influence. Yeah. I mean, I think yeah, he definitely was like trying to push his guitar playing in a different direction for sure on this album. This is an example kind of of like Roger being so about the songs and lyrics and point and like messaging and thinking of maybe the Floyd is just his bandmates mm-hmm. that like it's possible I feel like him giving up bass to Davey on two of the songs like half the album. Um is a good indication of that of him being like fine play bass i don't care as long as i'm mm-hmm. singing and like we're making this cool socialist yeah. record or whatever uh well i wouldn't go that far i don't think it's socialist per se true it's just anti-capitalist i guess it doesn't offer yeah. an alternative an alternative point of view it's just this fucking yeah. sucks <laughs> that's it which to be fair is a lot more realist than if you tried to anyway so now we get into sheep um Roger does play guitar on this song. 
hmm. um, which is aside from I think him playing acoustic here and then I think he played it a little bit on Wish You Were Here is I think the first time he's played guitar on a Pink Floyd song like the first time he's played electric I should say yeah and we'll hear more of it Oh, also, I'm a dummy. I take back that Brian Humphreys was their producer for the first time in forever. He was just their engineer. Gotcha. They still produced. I was going to say, yeah, yeah, yeah. That makes a lot of sense. Yeah, that makes way more sense. <laughs> this song's fine. <laughs> I don't love, love this one. This is maybe the, the most Rick Wright song. There's a lot of keyboards happening. Yeah, and so to me, I'm not giving away anything by saying this. When they do stuff like this for five minutes, where it's just like this, these organ tones, basically, yeah. it's like you see bands like Led Zeppelin doing that and like having a cool like organ tone, like tonal part of the album, but it's for a minute and a half max, right? And then it goes into like a fucking ripping song. They nope. don't do that. They just don't do that here. Uh, Davey's also playing bass on this one, I think I said. But... That's kind of a fun, like, backwards tape Reverse, sound. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, I just think... I, this one, to me, is very kind of similar to Pigs, actually. Um, but just feels lesser like the melody isn't quite as good the instrumentals aren't quite as good um and it's 10 minutes long so The organ is sick. It's a little bit buried, but it's really cool. The bass is good. Yeah, I know Davey, as always, is killing it. Let's go ahead and get to 533. There's a fairly long instrumental section. This is kind of in the middle of it. Oh, for some reason I thought you had skipped in the middle there and I'm like, oh man, we skipped to like the exact same thing. That's wild. <laughs> so we kind of get back to the beginning, but with different synths going on. get to they finally did decide to do the bible stuff now and it's reading uh like a parody basically of psalm 23 which is a very famous bible verse about like the lord is your shepherd you're a sheep you shall not want he, 
Yeah. They parodied it with, oh man, I wrote it, or I didn't write it down, but it was in my book. It's pretty funny. This must be He maketh me to lie down in green pastures. Yea, I walk through the valley of the shadow of death. I take a look at my life and realize there's nothing left. Is this theirs? No, I was... Oh. I was doing part of actual Psalm 23 and then oh. part of the Here song, um, yeah. uh, you know, Gangsta's Paradise. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me down to lie. With bright knives, he releaseth my soul. He converteth me to lamb cutlets. Funny. Wow. They Apparently really Nikki lambasted that line, the Bible. Yeah. yeah, they got you, God. <laughs> Sucker. Let's go ahead and go to seven minutes, maybe. We are at seven minutes and 50 seconds. Oh, here we go. We should be getting to a final guitar part soon. This is also very Led Zeppelin-y. We are not this wrong. This is the sounds, best part of the this album. This could absolutely be Jimmy Page. Um, yeah, it's really nice. It's a really, really good guitar. Huh. I didn't remember this, but my book also compares it to Jimmy Page. I mean, at this point in time, we've had... What? Eight years of Zeppelin already, so yeah. crazy that he wouldn't steal some stuff. Alright, let's go ahead and get to Pigs on the Wing, part two. I heard this is where um, they got the band name Wings from. Yeah. You know that I care. What happens to you? <sighs> nope. And I know that you care. For me too. I actually was thinking I should learn that song. It's kind of fun. Or it sounds kind of fun to play. All right. Um, so we didn't end up actually talking about the stuff I was going to talk about during the record. So do we want to finish talking about stuff or do we want to rate the album and give our thoughts now? Or do we want to do it at the very end? You also have those two videos you sent me. 
Oh yeah, uh, we can get to that before we do the rating. So okay. the first, or whichever one is Pigs on the Wing, the full version. Uh, okay. We can just listen to the guitar solo, basically. Just to kind of hear what it would be like if it was the full thing. It's they literally those... it? <laughs> oh yeah. No, this is the snowy white version. Oh, gotcha. So we can hear a little bit of what him soloing sounds like. They didn't record that acoustic guitar particularly well. Yeah, okay, so this was actually interesting. When I was doing the David Gilmore reading, too, it came up that after Wish You Were Here, they needed acoustic guitars to play live. And instead of his Martins and stuff, they ended up getting Ovation guitars, which apparently at the time... Yeah, apparently at the time, I did a little more research because it seemed weird to me, too. They were the, like, by far the best um, for plugging in and playing live. They had and the best touring, sound quality. That, that was the whole thing is like they were a USA made company and they're super strong and oh, okay. like durable. Yeah. So that was a thing. And so they, they had the best electronics. Yeah. So like we talked about his other guitars that he's on Wish You Were Here, but they just played Ovations Always Live. Apparently Roger liked it enough that they recorded it on this album in Ovation. And I agree. Like an like, Fuck that. It, it would be so much better if he played a better guitar. I agree. Yeah. I don't love the quality of the sound but For pigs on the wing. basically it just kind of sounds like they're playing it through like a fuzzy tape filter a little bit yeah like nope don't <laughs> like it immediately no it's mostly just fucking insane hearing a pink floyd song with such a not david gilmore solo on it yeah <laughs> it, and it's a good solo does not fit in this song like it kind of sounds like he's trying to be david gilmore but just can't. yeah it. It's fine. I, I mean, he's a talented guitarist. Yeah, but it, I don't it feels like it a little on this bit song. like he just wanders too much to me. But yeah. anyway, it's like listening to a Joe Satriani song or something, you know? Yeah. Steve Vai. So, well, let's go ahead and rate the album, and then we'll talk about their tour after that happened after okay. the album to finish up. We'll finish up with some good fun. Yeah. Um, and actually, it's perfect because the tour kind of leads us right into a cliffhanger for our next episode. So, perfect. Well, PJ, what did you think about animals? Eh, didn't like it that much. Wow. I like I like um, some of the stuff on it. Pigs on the Wing. Yeah. Maybe just make that one song, and then it'd yeah. be better. It would get a higher rating if it was just the one song. Um, like, understand what they're doing. I just am like over their artsy fucking bullshit. <laughs> I. I'm, you just want they, an album. They wrote songs for a while, mm-hmm. and it was great. And now they're like, actually, just five songs. Yeah. And, like, c- cool. They might have good moments on them. I'm never going to listen to another one of these goddamn 17- or 10-minute songs again because yeah. it. I don't want it to take five minutes to get into the good stuff. Yeah. I want it to be a song. Break it up if you're going to, like, have these. If you're going to have movements on a fucking right. song just break it up already it doesn't even matter like for digital that wasn't a thing then they would have just had to name it something different which they already kind of did right um like literally just put it differently on the track record or like the you know um track listing so it was annoying two out of ten and this one's definitely wow jesus (laughs) okay 
This one's definitely a worse offender than Wish You Were Here, because even though Wish You Were Here is similar, like it only has five songs, I feel like they break There's... it up in a way that makes it a lot more listenable. Yeah. I as opposed agree. to just having a giant chunk on the first half of the album. Yeah, I'm in like there's some great guitar lines on it, and I do I do like Pigs on the Wing. Yeah. But like that's not making up for anything. Like there's Yeah. Half, probably more than half of this album, that's unlistenable to me. Like it's so annoying, yeah. because even if they broke it up a little bit, if they made like each song three movements or something, then it's like I've got more songs to pick from. Yeah. I just like I'm never gonna go back to this. That's fair. Yeah, I think. Um... Wait, I should probably look at our rankings before I just say two out of ten. No, I think I'm sticking with two out of ten. I That's was fine. Just not a you rate it what you want. Um, just like Wish You Were Here, I used to really love this album and haven't listened to it in a long time. I still really like it. I think between Wish You Were Here and this, like the earlier albums didn't give me this feeling just because I'd never heard them before or I'd heard them a couple times. But So it was just listening to them new, I kind of had more patience. With these ones where I'd already listened to them a lot, it has become clear to me now that I am no longer a super long song person. <laughs> in college, I absolutely was. In there college, I loved a 17-minute long song. Like, I thought that was the coolest shit. Yeah. I would... And also, it's it. a little bit of how I listen to music. Like, I don't know, I walk to campus back and forth every day, so, like, I would have the time to put on animals and actually get through the entire first half, you know, walk into class or something. Whereas... I mean, I guess I do like on drives occasionally, but I don't know. It's just kind of a different thing. Um, so I agree. It's a little bit like I kind of feel like I'm not going to go back to this or wish you were here, you know, every few years maybe just to check in. But for how much I really loved them and still do like a lot of what's going on, I think the actual like active listening phase to these might have passed, at least for the moment. Maybe I'll get back into yeah. it. They're just so far up their own ass. <laughs> yeah, I I kind of agree. And like, the I think maybe part of the problem is the self-production. So many times with yeah. other bands we've talked about and other bands we just know about, having a new producer come in and try and trying to like kick you into shape or kick you into a different shape um, or even just get you to try anything new can yeah. like be such a boon for a or band or just point you in a direction where it's like we're gonna yeah. do five songs two of them are 10 minutes one of them 17 minutes and a producer could be like bad idea yeah or an a and r or just like Anybody. what if we broke up dogs what if we made it yeah. four songs what would happen yeah. then you know but they are you're right like they're too not that i necessarily think roger would be listening to a producer at this point but yeah it's like it's like they need that because yeah they don't yeah. seem like they quite know how else to do it. Dark side at this point seems like a fluke <laughs> in right? terms of them making like a more normal quote unquote yeah. album. Yeah. Um. And so you know I said on Wish You Were Here that I think they've kind of on that one they kind of perfected what they've been trying to do since Adam Hartmother and like yeah. Um. And I think. I think I agree for this one. I, No matter how much I'm talking bad about it, I also just have a real soft spot for this album in a weird way. I, um, mostly, I don't know how it's actually perceived, but I've always thought of it as kind of like the um, like unappreciated little brother of Wish You Were Here. 
because it's like it's darker it's weirder it's moodier it's like less easy to listen to and stuff so in that way i've kind of mm. always enjoyed you really it a niced bit. that up by saying less easy to listen to yeah it is like yeah. from the lyrical Worse, content harder. to even roger's voice is just like less nice to listen to over a full album yeah um, i agree but and i also in a way that could be problematic kind of have a soft spot for it because it's it's kind of the last album i feel like where roger was still kind of a a good potentially good human being (laughs) um and so in that way too because like i said on i've said for the last couple albums like i in this short time period i think he legitimately is fantastic like a great songwriter great lyricist good melodies even a pretty good singer at times like um it's just his actual you know personhood that sucks so anyhow um I've been talking way too long. I think I'm going to go seven out of 10 for me. That's less than wish you were here in dark side. Um, Seems high. I think I did this with wish you were here as well. Cause I said similar stuff where I'm like, I don't know. Like I didn't love, love listening to it, but I'm going to trust my younger self a little bit where Wish You Were Here was like one of my favorite albums ever for a long time. And so with this one, I think the 7 out of 10 comes from that I really do like some of the songs. Like I'm determined to listen to Pigs at least a lot more because I forgot how great that song is. Um, And then also I really like, if the lyrics are a little ham-handed, I at least really like where Roger's coming from. I agree with all he's saying 100%. Um... And so in that way, I like it. And and I like the tone. It's just weird. Like, they'll get a little bit further down this road on the wall, but then they'll also amp it up and kind of make it more, like, orchestrated and symphonic and stuff in a way where, like, this kind of stands alone as just a extremely weird-sounding Pink Floyd album. And I think a unique one. So I think there's enough pros for me to give it that seven. All right. Okay. Let's go ahead. We're not going to take a break because we're so close to the end, guys. But we have a little extra. So after this album comes out, actually the day it comes out, they start their tour. Um, This is going to be, yeah, their first kind of six-month tour. And then they're not going to keep touring forever this time. I think all the bad reviews from the last two tours must have gotten to them finally. I don't know. The tour is called In the Flesh, um, which is kind of a, a foreshadowing a little bit. Um, with for people who know the wall and at this point they were despite the like maybe critically bad reviews I think fans like they always have love their shows I think the Rolling Stone critic is right that instead of having like these ardent kind of fans who like really know their music and appreciate the trippiness of it and all that and appreciate the long weird shit they have a lot of for lack of a better word, casuals now, who are just like, Pink Floyd's cool, I'm going to go to the Pink Floyd show. Um, and who don't necessarily care about the music or like it more than just like, money's on the radio or something. Mm-hmm. Which is fine. I mean, that's how every band who gets more famous, like, that's what happens. Um, in the 70s, this was kind of a different thing because rock music was so, like, massive. I mean, it was. it's probably... It's probably, like, the most any single genre has, like, dominated popular culture since, like, rock music started in the 60s. 
I don't know that there was any other time other than like 75 to 80 where like just everything was almost everything was, you know, rock music. Anyway, so they were really known for their good live show show. This tour would be very popular. So they started the day the album came out, toured the UK and Europe, went pretty well. They took Dick Perry along with them because they played Wish You Were Here and some stuff off Dark Side. Um, and then Snowy White, again, was the the guitarist. The set list was almost always the entirety of Animals, in not in order for some reason. Um, the entirety of Wish You Were Here, in order. Uh, mm. And then an encore with usually Money and Us and Them. I don't think they changed it up that often. Yeah. So I think that was the entire show. That sounds um, like a show they would do now. Yeah, I did not listen to, I have a bootleg of this tour because it's supposed to be their best tour musically. Um, And I did not listen back to it, so I don't know. Um, I'm pretty sure, though, that set list is consistent. So then they went to North America from April to July and shit started going crazy. (laughs) So for the whole tour, they had cooked up some wild stage production so like we know the last tour they had that animated stuff like a bunch of animated videos by i can't remember the artist's name but he'll come up more von um, gone krauger yeah they had those running so this time they have those they also brought along i don't know if it's the same pig from the album cover or a different pig but they have a giant floating pig that they float out over the audience which is still a thing roger waters does um that's pretty much just become synonymous with him now. It used to be just synonymous with them. Both uh, are... Have I seen it twice? The laser light, or the, mm. the light planetarium show that I went to that was Laser Floyd, um, even though it was um, Dark Side of the Moon had a lot of pig iconography. Uh, okay, yeah. Um, yeah, it's kind of interesting that, like, for their live shows, that's such a huge thing, but it hasn't crossed over to the point where, like, you don't see Pink Floyd t-shirts with like a pig on it, even though that would be a really no. simple, easy graphic to kind of associate. But anyway. Yeah, we'll sell those on uh, on beachboysboys.teespring.com. Or That's right. Well, speaking of t-shirts, we might get sued by Roger because for their tour, I should have showed you this. Well, I should have had this picture up is what I'm trying to say. For their tour, every band member wore, they're either black or navy blue uh, t-shirts with just a pig on them. Oh, like that was their tour uniform. So That's here's cool. Roger with one on. There's another picture with Davey with one. I on. like that. And I believe the picture of Snowy that's in this book is also him wearing that. So like, I think everyone wore them essentially. Oh, also cool. we'll like do that. hot or not next episode. Cause the eighties get weird for people. Yeah. Um, but in between wish you were here and now Nick Mason shaves his mustache and he looks like Ugh. a completely different person. Yuck. Actually, let me show you. There's a full band photo from the beginning of this chapter where I literally went, wait, isn't Nick Mason? Is he still in this band? Who's that new guy? Because he looks so, because he got a bit of a haircut too. Let's see. Oh, wow. He, I mean, there's always one weirdo, like weird fucking looking guy in a band. Well, like, he used to be too, because he had the long hair and the crazy handlebar mustache, and like he yeah. looked like a biker guy. And then he gets his haircut and cuts the mustache, and he just looks like a dad. I mean, it's like, uh, is it Phil Lesh? Phil Lesh in Fish, mm, yeah. not in Fish, in The Grateful Dead. Um, he there's like three years where he looks so cool because he's yeah. got like I don't remember if he has a full beard or just like a killer mustache. 
And then like the second he shaves it and like cuts his hair, he's just a dorky dad. And I feel like every band has that. I feel like that was um, Bill Wyman for the Stones. Yeah. And yeah. Hey, speaking of the Grateful Dead, I forgot to put this in my notes, but um, Roger's second wife that he marries right before Animals um, got divorced from Rock Scully, the Grateful Dead's manager. Oh, wow. So, yeah, a little Grateful Dead uh, interaction there for Pink Floyd. All right, so they had the giant floating pig. They also had a smaller floating pig that at some point they would blow up in the show. Uh, They had these cannons that would, like, shoot things out over the audience, but a bunch of venues wouldn't allow them, so that was kind of hit or miss. Yeah. I think they would shoot, like, stickers or something. I don't know. It was something weird. Um, they had, I could not find any more information about this. The Wikipedia page mentions they had a waterfall that's just in quotes, no more information, no citation, Googled it. So if anyone knows what the hell the waterfall was on stage for in the flesh, please let us know. I guess they all just took a piss break is what that means. (laughs) Yeah. Okay. So the tour also had a lot of rowdy crowds. Like I was saying, they had a lot of kind of casual fans, a lot of fans who showed up to drink and all that. And a lot of really huge crowds. So like at one venue, um, Soldier Field in Chicago, the promoters told Floyd they sold out. Our capacity is 67,000. Good job, guys. Apparently their manager was skeptical enough about this that he hired a lawyer, a photographer, and a helicopter, flew over Mm. the stadium, and got like an official estimate that there were actually 95,000 people there. Wow. So they stiffed them or they shortened it by 30,000. Yeah. Um, which is just crazy. I don't know. These are just massive crowds. Um, it's like Led Zeppelin actually as well. A lot of bands at that time were just playing insane. Arena Rock, baby. I mean, it's bigger than Arena Rock. Like an NFL stadium, it's fucking gigantic. If you put the stage at one end, um, I, I mean, yeah, it's I guess 90, stadium ninety five thousand people. Anyway, all right. So, and then there was also a weird trend on this tour, and I legitimately don't know how this works before the internet exists. Maybe reviewers would write about it and people would hear about it, but there was a trend all tour long where people would bring their own fireworks to set off during the show. Um, Maybe that was just a rock concert thing. I don't know. But the band apparently was not expecting it because they got so fucking pissed off about it every single time. And by the end of the tour, we're like, stop doing the goddamn fireworks. My guess is that they've got people like... Like the dead or fish. Oh, uh, yeah, maybe. They've got people following them around, and so it, like, becomes a thing, you know? Yeah. So they also start, you know, they were not getting along super well during recording, but, you know, they finished the album. Along this tour, Roger quits writing with the band ever. He just shows up alone and leaves alone immediately hmm. after the show. Sounds um, like a dickhead. At one point on the tour, Rick flew back to England, threatening to quit, and they somehow coaxed him back. Um... At the last tour stop, Davey refuses to play the encore, partially because he's pissed <laughs> at the band and partially because the crowd was awful. Yeah. Um, let's go ahead, though, and right before we get to the last show story, let's listen to a little bit of that YouTube video, which is a compilation from all the bootlegs of Roger yelling at the crowd <laughs> on this tour. You got to love YouTube. It's man. fucking fantastic. I was disappointed I couldn't find any good video of this tour. I really wanted to see more of like what the pig looked like and stuff, but yeah, that would have been sick. Wow. They're booing? 
Yeah, that's confusing. Someone in the comments said they think they set off fireworks, the band, at that point, but then for some reason everyone booed. Confusing. Hell yeah. It's always during his ballad. I know, right? doesn't seem like he likes performing what's funny is that he's still like this and he still tours constantly yeah it's very strange like what does he get out of it aside from the money no that might be it (laughs) (laughs) all right that's probably good enough it's it's a it's longer but we get the idea so at the last stop which is in montreal um, it was a huge crowd. Everyone wanted to just end the tour, but also kind of had this vibe of like, well, we should have like one really good show, right? You know, like this is, the tour has been such a disaster. Um, terrible show. The crowd is more riled up than ever. Roger gets so pissed at someone in the audience, he spits on them. <laughs> cool. Yeah, which is straight up no, like, that, sucks. I hate that, that person could kind of file assault charges against him, right? Yeah. I would think. Yeah. All right. Um, Spits on him. Um, then they do their encore. Davy doesn't come out. He refuses to play. Um, and then they end the encore with playing like just an instrumental thing. Because they're like, maybe the crowd will be cool and calm down and leave if like we're still playing, but not a song they need to hear. You know what I mean? And so yeah. um, they do that. And then the crowd just doesn't leave. And then Roger yells at them a bunch. <laughs> cool. So, yeah, that sounds right. Yeah. So and this pretty much leads directly into his ideas for the wall. So let's see, I have an interview quote that was from 1979 when the wall came out. Um, This is from an article on ultimate classic rock. The idea for the wall came from 10 years of touring with rock shows, particularly the last few years, 75 and 77, when we were playing to very large audiences, some of whom were our old audience who'd come to hear what we wanted to play, but most of whom were only there for the beer in big stadiums. And consequently, it became rather an alienating experience doing the shows. I became very conscious of a wall between us and our audience. And then also you can see how the tour name would become the name of the first song on the new album, if this is his inspiration. So it is an interesting thing. I think, I wonder how much of it, like they definitely had, I feel like kind of a tight knit following back in the day where they would play these more intimate shows with people who were appreciative. I get that. I also wonder how much of it is just Roger becoming more of a dick and like getting more fed up and stuff. You Probably know, a little like, column A, column B. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So like him entirely saying the wall is just like because crowds suck. It's also like yeah, you also you know, Are like the dick. the wall is also from you being a dick to them. Like the yeah. it's from both sides that this wall is coming up. So totally. Anyway, so that's a good uh, tease for the next episode. Yeah, where we cover the wall but now we're talking about animals 
and we will continue talking about animals until the show is over, which is now. So thanks for listening, everybody. Yeah. Um, Pete, I'll see you on the other side of that rainbow. No, PJ, see you on the other side of that wall. I'll see you in the flesh. There you go. You just nail him. Do one more. Okay, I'll see you. Um... Oh, fuck. Um, I'll. Uh... This song isn't that long. I don't have a lot of time to think. Um, nope. You, you gotta fade it out, too. Fuck. Uh, I'll see you on the Floyd of the of Pink on tour. See you under that balloon A Beach Boys Boys production. I was reading a thing recently on that guitar website. Um... Mm-hmm. That you have for, or that we've talked about a few times uh, on this one about Rogers guitars. Mm, yeah, yeah. And I read an article because I am recently I've been kind of obsessed with George Harrison's All Rosewood Telecaster because it's the coolest guitar mm. there has ever been. Yeah. Um, and I want to make one, or because I can't afford to buy one because they're like five grand. Mm-hmm. I can't justify yeah. spending that much on a guitar. Um, that's that's fair. But I, so I've just been like looking into it and stuff. And on that, it says that what part of this is true, part of this is false. That he, so Fender gave it to him and then he played it for basically just the, you know, let it be sessions and then gave it back to Fender because it was too heavy. All of that is true. But then there's an end line that says, and then he never picked up a Telecaster ever again. Which is not true. Really? Because yeah, that seems surprising. Concert for Bangladesh. He's playing a Telecaster. Oh, yeah. And then there's like so many videos. Like every time he played something live after the yeah. Beatles, he was playing a Telecaster. It's he a very Telecaster telly. tone. But, Interesting. Um, so I don't know the validity of um, this website yeah. is what I'm trying to get to. Okay. This might be like they might list Ringo Starr under some random album that yeah. he never played on. He might have been on a Big Star album or yeah. whatever the fuck it was. Okay, well, that's good to know. I mean, look, for a podcast that does use a lot of shit off Wikipedia without checking the sources, yeah, I'm sure we've thrown out some misinformation, so. Yeah, I feel I like think, we always talk about it. I think we'll it, survive though, right? if we talk know. about Davies guitars and got something wrong. Yeah. Like, if you're that big of a Pink Floyd fan, you can um, fuck My off. My thing was just like, they could, yes, absolutely. Well, don't and you fuck shouldn't off, be listening to this don't podcast. Don't email us about it. Or actually, yeah. wait, dude, just, sorry, what I'm trying to say, if you're that big of a Pink Floyd fan, uh, just be nice. Like you can email us and yeah. and tell us what really happened, but don't be a dick. Yeah, and also fuck off. <laughs> um, yeah, I will love the correction, and then also tell you to fuck off. Yeah, that sounds right. That's kind of our speed. Yeah.